Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 216 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to look at two more important aspects of context. Let's dive in. Two episodes ago, back in episode 214, we began talking about this idea of biblical context. And I mentioned the fact that as we are studying the Bible, knowing the context is really important to understanding scripture. In other words, if we don't see a passage in light of its context, we can easily just make it say whatever we want it to say. Well, we've been walking through seven key contexts that are really important to keep in mind as we study scripture. Now, in the last episode, we looked at the first two of those, which was the historical and the cultural context. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to episode 215, where we kind of walk through that idea of what does it mean to understand the Bible in light of the history and the culture of which it was written? Well, I want to look at two more important contexts in this particular episode, and then we're going to finish the other three in the next episode. So here's the third important aspect of context. It's what we could call the linguistic or the grammatical context. Now, I know that those are big words, (laughs) but basically what we're talking about is the words and their actual meanings. So this is the one we probably think of when we think of context itself. In other words, if I'm looking at one particular word, that word sits in the context of a sentence and that sentence sits in the context of a paragraph. And even the word itself has a particular context in light of all of that. In other words, words have meaning based on context. And I gave that illustration two episodes ago about the word green. But here's another illustration. If I said the word coach, well, what do I mean? Well, I could refer to an athletic trainer. I could refer to a, like a horse and buggy, right? There's those coaches that were pulled by horses. There is that really cheap seats in the back of a plane, which is the ones I can afford, you know? So which, which coach am I referring to? Well, it's all based on the context of the sentence that the word coach actually means all those things. And yet I need to see it in light of its overarching context. 
And this can be sometimes confusing for Bible students. For example, if you go to blueletterbible.com and you look up a particular word in the definition or the section where it gives the meaning, a lot of times it'll give a whole bunch of different meanings. And I've seen a lot of students in the past basically say, okay, well, all those meanings mean this in my particular passage. But hold on, hold on. That's not true. It would be like opening up a dictionary and seeing the definition for the word coach and say it, let's, I'm making this up, but let's say it says athletic trainer, a, an old style horse and buggy. And then it says the back of an airplane seat. Well, which ones am I referring to? So I can't just take all those definitions, come to my passage and say, well, here's the word coach. So it must mean all three of those things. Well, that doesn't even make sense. And yet we often do that when it comes to scripture. So can I encourage you, if you're going to use a online resource or a dictionary of Bible terms, make sure you realize that when it's giving definitions, oftentimes it's giving all what we would call a semantic range. It's giving all the options for what a word means, but it doesn't mean that that word in your verse means all those things, if that makes sense. When we're talking about this idea of linguistic and grammatical context, we're also referring to this idea of grammar And we're also referring to original languages. So as you probably know, the Bible was not written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and some Aramaic. And the New Testament was primarily written in Greek, Koine Greek. And so as we're studying the Bible, the more we can understand grammar and original languages and and even just the, the words themselves, the better and deeper our Bible study will be. A classic example of this would be Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20 which you know is the Great Commission. So Jesus, at the very end of his ministry, looks at his disciples and he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, you know that verse really well. But when you look at it in the original language, it's really interesting that the grammar is really forceful. There are four key verbs in the passage. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And when you look at them, there's actually one primary verb and three what we call participles. And don't get lost here. (laughs) Basically, what's happening is that these three participles are coming alongside the main verb and it's giving emphasis or definition of what that one main verb means. Well, most of us, when we look at that passage, we just naturally presume that the main verb is go. And that's because we are not going. (laughs) But when you look at the grammar in the Greek, the actual verb, the actual command is make disciples. You and I are called to make disciples. Well, what is that going to entail? Well, that's going to mean we're going to go, we're going to baptize, and we're going to teach. In fact, it's really interesting that the word go in the passage is presumed. In fact, a better way to translate the passage is while you are going, make disciples of all the nations, baptize and teach. And that's really significant because a lot of the sermons I've heard on this particular passage emphasizes this idea of go. Hey, you need to go. You need to Go and evangelize and make disciples and go on mission. Why? Why is there such an emphasis on this idea of go? Well, it's because we're not going. And yet, if I would really understand the passage, 
there should be something welling up within me that's just causing me to run out the door and I'm compelled to go. And it's like Jesus is, you know, like yelling at, yelling at me as I'm running out the door. Hey, while you are going, make disciples. So the third key context is this idea of the words, the grammar, the language in which you are reading or studying. The fourth, which is rather similar to the one I just mentioned, is what you could call the literary context. This would include like genre and journalistic questions. Those great journalistic questions are great to ask when you're reading and studying the Bible. It's that who, what, when, where, why, how, all all those great journalistic questions. (laughs) But genre often is a significant thing that we overlook when we're reading and studying the Bible. Now, we just naturally think in genre when it comes to, say, movies or books. If, if I see a movie poster and it has this, you know, this guy in a cowboy hat and it has a pistol and the horse on the cover, well, I'm just going to presume that it is a Western kind of a film. You know, if I if I see this damsel in distress and this good strapping guy and he's looking at her and she's looking back at him. I'm going to say, Oh, that must be a fantasy. No, so sorry. That's just kidding. <laughs> it's probably going to be some romantic comedy, right? If, if I see some spaceship, it's going to be some sci-fi. So we, th- we understand genre, even just based on seeing a movie poster. Uh, we know that a whodunit like an Agatha Christie is going to be a murder mystery. And so we presume that there's going to be certain things that are allowed or certain things that are expected in each of these genres. For example, a romantic comedy better have a romance in it. A sci-fi actually has great liberties and you can do a lot in sci-fi and fantasy that's not allowed, say, in a Western. So the genre helps kind of give some clues as to how to interpret or understand a particular book or movie. Now, in our case, that's true also in scripture. There's a lot of different genres. For example, we have history, we have poetry, we have apocalyptic, we have biography, we have letters, we have parable. All of those are different kinds of genres that sit within our text. Now, you understand that there are certain things you can do in poetry that you don't do in a biography. Uh, For example, in Psalm 91, it talks about the fact that, that God is going to cover us with his wings. Now, we understand that God is not a chicken. He probably doesn't actually literally have wings. But it is a metaphor. It's, a, it's an imagery that is being used in poetry to talk about this loving, nurturing aspect that just like a, a mama eagle is going to bring her brood underneath her wings for safety and protection and comfort, so too God is going to give us refuge and hope and help in our time of trouble. So poetry allows imagery Uh, apocalyptic literature, if you read the book of Revelation, has a lot of imagery associated with it that, well, do we interpret it literally or figuratively? Well, that's, that's a hard one because it's very debatable. And yet when I, when I read biography or I read history, I know that things are being literally stated. So recognize that as you're reading or as you're studying to consider, well, what genre does this book or this passage sit in? And then also note that some books have multiple genres. For example, the Gospels, which are biography, also have parable inside of them. So as you're getting to a parable, parables were not intended to interpret every little detail down to the nuance. In fact, Jesus even explains that as he explains some of the parables. So again, as you're studying the Bible, can I encourage you to keep context 
at the forefront of your mind. It's one of the greatest things that we miss and forget about as we're studying the Bible. So, so far, we've talked about the historical context, the cultural context, the linguistic and grammatical context, and the literary context. Now, in the next episode, we're going to look at the last three key contexts that you need to know as you study and read scripture. But I really want you to be pressing in and studying God's word. It is so important, especially in light of the context. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 216 for episode 216. And until next time, when we wrap up this whole context discussion, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.